night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. the difference between being startled and being frightened? Have you ever been startled by someone you love? Many of you were just startled by someone who loves you 30 seconds ago. There is a uh, social media post that is uh, floating around out there asking if people would be willing to spend 24 hours in a funeral parlor without electricity for a million dollars. I'd do it for a portion of that. My brother-in-law worked uh, for a season while a KSU student for a funeral home in Manhattan. His job was to be on hand in the evenings in case anybody called or dropped by for a visitation. And I'm thinking that while he worked that job, he had to come to terms with fear. Um, But I'm also assuming he was never startled by one of the clientele. On the other hand, my job here does not include environmental fear, but I have been startled by Becky at least once. And so I announced myself before coming into her office to prevent her from being startled. Today's text starts with a declaration of fear not. Although I'm sure the shepherds were startled in that moment. Although they were startled, they receive a surprising salutation. The surprising salutation was because there was an unexpected event. When I have been startled, the experience usually ends as quick as it happened. My shock is resolved when I reacclimate to my surroundings. But the experience of the shepherds did not reacclimate instantly. Because someone remained in their sight who had never been there before. And if I see something that I've never seen before, I'm probably going to fear, even if that object tells me, fear not. And can attest that I am notoriously difficult to surprise. 
But my parents did pull off one totally unexpected birthday surprise party. But in that moment, the shock and the surprise quickly turned to laughter and joy. Not that I've ever desired that they would do it again. And quite similarly, the surprise of the shepherds is turned almost immediately into great joy. As a matter of fact, the scripture calls it mega joy. The actual word that Luke used is megalon. It is a great joy, a mega joy. There is some mail that I receive that I am not real pleased to receive. One of those unexpected senders usually has something that causes me at least some angst. Is anything with the return address the United States Department of the Treasury? However, the last few things that I have received from them were announcements of potential benefits that I could apply for. No, I'm not quite old enough for Social Security. It's just with other government programs. And in those situations, once I opened the letter, I quickly feared not. But I honestly can't say that their news inspired mega joy for any of the people in my house. By contrast to Department of the Treasury, the news delivered by the angel did make possible great joy. Unto us was born a Savior who is Messiah God. And this is good news for the entirety of the people. Sometimes we've heard all the people so often we don't we just kind of skip over the all. So I look for the sense of the word and some sort of a synonym. This is mega joy for the entirety all inclusive of the people. Now some may point to the phrase this is great joy for all people as some sort of an argument against sovereign election. For those who are in the Armenian Calvinism questions or discussions, stay tuned. The sermon is not over yet. But Romans chapter 5, verse 12, makes it clear to us that the consequence of Adam's sin fell on all the men and women, the entire of humanity, so any hope for life for any of humanity is a reversal of fortune that causes growth, and it causes joy. Because we were all doomed, the fact that even some of us may be able to get out of that doomed condition gives great joy for the inclusive humanity. 
As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because then all sinned. So even if a particular person chooses to remain in his or her sinful condition, the switch from hopeless to hopeful has been flipped. And when the switch from hopeless to hopeful gets flipped, that brings mega joy for the entirety of humanity. The good news that brings mega joy to all people is not in a situation, though. It is not the situation of a birth. It is a surprising birth because it is a birth of the Savior, the Son. Verse 11 of the text in front of us tells us, that the son who was born was more than the people ever expected in a Messiah. A human deliverer had been prophesied 4,000 years earlier in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And ever since the time of the judges, God has been raising up human deliverers for his chosen people. And since David's rule have come leaders, deliverers, quote, in the name of the Lord. These deliverers who come in the name of the Lord to bring about God's righteousness and God's justice. And the Jewish people in the first century were waiting for another one, another deliverer to come in the name of the Lord. Mary and Zechariah's songs that we looked at the last two weeks spoke of God sending a Messiah, God sending a Christ. They were looking for, they were expecting a deliverer. But Gabriel's message to Mary and the angel's message to the shepherds is not just that God would send a Messiah, but he would be the Messiah. Not just that God would send a deliverer, but God himself would take on skin and become that deliverer for us. To unlearned and common shepherds came the direct message in a language that they could understand. Unto you is born today a deliverer who is Messiah Adonai, the deliverer Lord. See, they were expecting a deliverer, but they got deity which means this was a surprising son. They were surprised that this Savior was the Son of God himself. And if I were to tell you that royalty is coming to Chase County, someone would expect Cottonwood Falls International Airport to extend a few feet on the runway. Or they would prepare for secret service and limousines. But the angel gave a message to common shepherds 
And this message was a surprising sign. Notice that the angel gave a sign, singular, not signs, plural. The singular sign was, when you see all of these things happen together at once, you'll know you're in the right place. See, Bethlehem at this time was a small hamlet um, estimated to be about 2,000 people. If you've got a small village and the surrounding farms, 2,000 people, a birth is not that unexpected. Speculation was that there were about 40 male babies who were executed by Herod's order that all boys under two would be killed. So based on a loose speculation that there were 40 babies that were killed, so there were 40 babies who, male babies who were under two years old, that means roughly there's a baby boy born about every two weeks. And so for them to say, for the angel to say, for today is born a baby, a son, that's part of the sign. But other babies were born. That's not really special. That there is a boy born this day was basically a 1 in 15 chance of it happening. But this boy who was born today will be wrapped in strips rather than a whole blanket. And the fact that the baby would be dressed in strips rather than a blanket, now all of a sudden just cuts the ratio in half. So instead of 1 out of 15 chance that the baby is born today, we now have a 1 in 30 chance that a baby who is born today is dressed in strips. But the third part of the sign is, and lying in a manger. And the likelihood that one out of 30 babies would be lying in a feeding trough now makes the likelihood beyond any reasonable probability. It's not coincidence that a boy was born today wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Why does it tell us that they were strips of cloth? Why is that significant? Well, it's because strips of cloth, poor travelers would have used anything that they, they could find to keep the baby warm. They, they, they would try to make do with whatever they found, and they didn't have a whole blanket, so they found various strips of cloth to keep the baby boy warm. But this isn't just a story about poor travelers, because strips of cloth were used for burial. Imagine a wrapped mummy. Travel with me to the site of the grave where Jesus' friend Lazarus has been laid. And when Jesus weeps for his friend, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, 
and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So when I see this, I see that strips of cloth were burial clothes. From the very earliest moments of Jesus' life, we picture him prepared for death. He was in strips of cloth because he came to die. He was also lying in a manger. The rancher associated with Crawford Cattle Company may not recall, but the very first day that Ann and I were in Cottonwood Falls, we were introduced to the destructive ability of feeding livestock. Next door to the place where we returned our moving truck in Council Grove, Ray was picking up some landscape cloth from the agriculture agent to lay down and cover with stone, creating a feeding area that would not be knee-deep in mud and muck when the livestock came to feed. I've since noticed that feeding livestock really don't care about the environment as long as they get fed. I've noticed that most bunkers are made out of steel or, to eliminate rust, made out of concrete. Or the rancher just drops the cubes on the ground and opens the bale. For just as a mouse could chew through wood, any animal could quickly destroy a manger made of wood. So we have this cute little picture in our minds of a wooden manger holding straw to feed the animals. And either the manger that we use in nativity scenes was used, which foreshadows for us that Jesus would one day hang on a wooden cross in order to die. And if it wasn't a wooden feeding trough, It would have been a trough that was hewn out of stone, which doesn't forecast the cross, but it forecasts for us the tomb that was borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea. See, from the very earliest moments of his life, we picture Jesus prepared for death. He came to die. The good news of mega joy for the entirety of humanity is about an impending death, and the news could not be contained. For as soon as the angel puts a period at the end of his sentence, he is surrounded by a sudden multitude, a symphony, if you want the S that would go with the rest of the S's in the outline. Or he was surrounded by a choir. Or to be biblically accurate, the one angel was surrounded by armies. What were these armies? I asked on social media to get some feedback from some of you. If my friends think that verse 13 of Luke chapter 2 somehow is speaking of angels or some other heavenly body like stars, moons, planets, etc. Because it says, with the angel appeared a multitude of the heavenly host. Now, some believe host 
is already defined by the singular angel. So with the angel appeared a multitude of angels. To those, I would ask, then why did Luke change the word from angelos to angels to describe the multitude? Why didn't he say angels if they were angels? And because of the word change, that there was one angel and then there was a multitude of hosts, and some people would look to Psalm 19 that they knew very well. Psalm 19.1 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. It's very possible that the stars tell us of God's glory. So were the heavenly host stars in the clear heavens? Or were they more angelic beings? Because this verse clearly hints at stars and planets rather than angels. So this prompts some people to believe that it was something other than angels that made up the heavenly host. And to this group of people, I say keep reading. Because the original Bible did not have punctuation marks or verse numbers. They read the whole thing as a story. And if you read ahead to the Third word of what is our, verse 15, what does it say? When the angels returned. So we had one angel, we have something of host, and then we have angels returning. What were they? It, it's, it's simply, an, I, I guess I just have to conclude that there was at least one angel, There were a multitude of voices. And then there were at least two angels that returned. And some of you will take great comfort in the fact that the multitude does not sing. Rather than singing, the multitude says this song. So if you can't sing a note, you can still be included in the multitude of hosts that give glory to God. Because the emphasis is not on what they were, the emphasis is on how many were there. While the NIV uses the word, there was a great company of these heavenly beings, the ESV, the NASB, and the King James all used, there was a multitude of these heavenly beings. And the very fact that different English words are used hints that there's something underlying that the translators are trying to communicate. And I think the underlying message is not what they were, but the reality is there were bunches of whatever they were. It's actually the word that is the root, it's transliterated, is our word plethora. Suddenly, a plethora of beings joined the angel. Look at the word that is used for our word plethora. It's translated as a number, people, plural, the assembly, the congregation, the crowd, the great company, the quantity, the many, or the multitudes. 
So what I see is the news that was announced by a single angel cannot be spread by a single voice. The single voice of mega joy for all people is suddenly turned into a multitude, a plethora of voices. The movement of one announcement to many voices begins to move us towards a practical application of this text. Because verses 14 and 15 talk about the significance of the song. The significance is first that there is praise towards God that is multiplied and magnified. From one angel, we now have a plethora of voices saying glory to God in the highest. When a decision comes down to us, I wonder, do we praise the decision? Or do we question the decision? Do we question the process? In our divisive political system, many people have begun to count the votes. If the Supreme Court hands down a decision, we want to know who voted for it, who voted against it, and we want to even read the response of the minority in the decision. If Congress passes a law, some can quickly cite who voted for and who voted against a bill. And often the curiosity of who voted how is simply for us an attempt of, if we're going to reverse this decision, we need to know what the task is in front of us. But the decision that was handed down by the angel, that the one who came in order to save his people is God our deliverer. That news, that announcement That decision is not up for review. It's not up for potential recall. It's not eligible for impeachment. That message is a statement of fact that will not change. And so the plethora speak with one one voice to the glory of God himself. Glory to God that a son has been born to deliver us. The second part of this exuberant praise is that peace on earth is now possible. In most English Bibles, verse 14 is divided into two ideas. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But some Bibles, if you happen to be carrying a King James Version, probably has verse 14 divided into three ideas. Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, and a third idea of some sort, something about man and goodwill or favor. We can conclude in that second thought that peace with God is made possible in Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote specifically in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God in the highest, because now we can have peace with God. 
It is the end of verse 14 that scholars begin to disagree. This peace with God and this man who somehow demonstrates favor, is this speaking of God's pleasure with man by saying with whom he is pleased? Is this speaking somehow of man's pleasure with one another? That man will extend goodwill to one another. There's something about humanity and favorable. Is it man who now is favorable to God? Or is it man now begins to act favorably with one another? Most agree, and I concur, that the end of verse 14 speaks of God's pleasure with humanity. So that the multitude is speaking with one voice, glory to God in the highest. There is peace on earth. And now man has the possibility of being viewed by God with favor. It is a return to Eden. It is a return to the relationship between God and his creation that God said it is good. As soon as God made mankind, he says, it is very good. Not because of man's behaviors, but because God saw his workmanship and saw that it was very good. In this good news that the heavenly hosts, they extol that God's wrath can be turned away so that man can be reconciled to God and God can once again take pleasure in his creation. That's why we say there is now peace on earth because God is able to take pleasure to extend favor to humanity that he created. The significance of the good news is that God's praise increases, humanity's peace becomes possible, and as recipients of the promise, we can move forward in faith. I only mentioned verse 14 in the bulletin, but now you get the bonus part of the sermon. The bonus part is in verse 15. The shepherds are now able to proceed in faith and confidence. For they say in verse 15, let us see this thing that has happened. The witness of their eyes and their ears prompt them to proceed with their feet and to proclaim with their mouths in verses 17 and 20. They did not go to see if this had happened. They went to celebrate that it had happened. And we move forward with the same confidence and the same faith that God has sent a Messiah to deliver us. God. In skin. See, our response in the days ahead is simply to respond as the shepherds did. When they heard the voice of the multitude overflow in magnified praise, they determined to live in peace and to confidently proclaim to others the good news. When God acts, his praise is multiplied and a response of us is expected. Our response song this morning is not a Christmas song per se. 
It is a song of Christmas. It is exactly the type of song the plethora of heavenly armies may have repeated throughout the universe. It's a song that we sang in my church growing up, less than 100 Baptists gathered together in Kansas City. And it is a song that I have sung with thousands in huge auditoriums with a pipe organ of mixed denominations. I invite you to join with me and a full choir and a full orchestra in London's Royal Albert Hall as we stand and sing together 